And what I'm talking about is expectations. You know, when you're a kid, you can't wait to get your hands on the, the wish book and go through there and figure out what kind of things you kind of hope will come your way at Christmas time. And it's, been, it's happened in our house where we, you know, our kids have had that book in their hands. And little Delaney, I remember once she was going through, and with each page she would turn, she said, got it, want it, need it, got it, got it. You know, she's just going down the list of all the stuff on there and deciding what she didn't have that she really thought she needed. And isn't it true that little kids have an expectation this time of year? There's, a, there's an anticipation, there's an expectation of what's going on. And, and you know, you, you, the day comes and you sneak up the steps or down, however your house is situated, and you poke around the corner and you make sure that it's, you're not too early because, I mean, don't you remember that you got up at like 3.30 in the morning to go check, right, and see what was, what was under the tree and you have expectations about what's going to be up underneath there? You remember that? Now, as a kid, it's what makes this a wonderful time. I, I, I remember all the way back, I couldn't have been six, seven, I might have been five years old. I was, you know, when I would get the wish book, mom and dad would be watching television, and I would just be content to sit on the couch while they were watching whatever, and I would just go through that wish book, and I'd always really slow down when it came to the, to the racetracks. Oh, man. I thought they were cool, and I would trace them with my finger, you know, and I, I'd, I really liked the ones that had four lanes, and I'd watch and see they, when they'd split and go different directions, and I'd track that, and I'd think, oh, it'd be so cool to have one of those. And it had lights and, you know, all kinds of cool things. And well, I finally set my sights for Christmas one time on a Dan Gurney race set. Now, half you, more than half you, have no idea who Dan Gurney was. How many racing people have heard the name Dan Gurney? That's what I'm talking about right there. That's what I'm talking about. And this set had a, it had two 68 Mercury Cougars. One was red and one was white. The track was black. You know, the guardrails were yellow. They were, they were electric. And, and a little guy, I was going to get my own racetrack. And I could not wait to get to the tree to find that thing. And I mean, I just ripped into it. I was the happiest boy on the planet. My uncles were coming over. I knew they would play with me. And it was just, it was glorious. It was just a, a wonderful time and then what happens is you you know after after you get all your stuff then it's a you call your friends right and you and you have conversations with them but here's what you don't ask here's when you're a kid he, these are the things you don't ask how did it go did, did who came over you know that's not that's those are questions that adults ask what's the one question you're asking when you're a kid what'd you get what'd you get did you, did, you know, were the expectations met on the whole thing? That's really the, the thing that we've got on our mind was the expectation met. met. And in kid world, you know, you, they, they tell you what they got and you tell them what you got and you make plans about coming together and you're going to play with those things and you play with them pretty much till they break and, you know, until you get tired of them or whatever. And, and then, you know, you move on to something else. But man, it's just a magical, glorious time when you're a kid at this time of the year because the expectations are so high. And in kid world, it doesn't matter because if you, you know, if you've got money and it's in the store, there's no problem, right? I mean, as far as a kid's concerned, you got the money, there it is, you go get it. Now, adults don't think that way, but that's the way a kid thinks because they've got expectations. And then you grow up and then you worry about different kind of stuff, different stuff. You know, things like, I just want, you know, you'd say, what do you want for Christmas? We say things like, I just want everybody to get along. You know, I just wish that we could, I wish we could get along. Or, or you'd say something like, boy, I hope so-and-so doesn't show up this year for Christmas. 
You know, that's what I want for Christmas is for them not to come. That's what I want. Or boy, I hope he doesn't bring her again because I didn't like her very much. And she's not very good for him and, you know, that kind of thing. And here comes Christmas and it's supposed to be the happiest time of year. And it turns out that it's the most stressful time for adults. Because instead of enjoying Christmas, what we do is we, we try, we end up navigating Christmas. You know, we, we end up managing Christmas. We, we prepare for it. You know, how many times have you been asked this week, are you ready? You know, like there's going to be an onslaught on Christmas Day. Well, there kind of is, really. I mean, you think about it. But, but are you ready? That's the way we talk to one another about Christmas. Instead of something that you would enjoy and that you would go through and think, man, this is just such a joyous time. Now, if you're listening to me and you're thinking, <laughs> are there really people who view Christmas like that? Are there real, I mean, are, do adults really see that this holiday as a, as a non-joyous time and as a time to, to be endured and, and not enjoyed? The answer is yeah, and probably if you're thinking that way, you're in the minority, and Merry Christmas, you may want to leave now because it could be depressing for you in the next 20 minutes or so. But, you know, maybe, maybe you got ripped off as a kid. Maybe growing up, you... Um, you had parents that just didn't do a very good job with the whole Christmas thing, or maybe there was fighting, or I don't know what could have happened for you at Christmas time, but maybe your Christmases growing up weren't real joy-filled, and you decided early on, by golly, when I get kids and I get to be an adult, we're going to have fun if it kills us, you know? And, and you just, you just, oh, I just scared the baby. And you, and you, and you just began, you just began to manage Christmas. And you decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to control the whole thing. And, and that's the mode that you've gone into. And it really has become more for you about fulfilling a mission. It's not that you enjoy it. It's that you, you know, this is what you have to do to make sure that you get to the end. It's not about Merry Christmas. And it's not, it's about fulfilling a mission. And that's what maybe what Christmas has become for you. And, and what this does to us is it, it, it forces us many times to respond in, in several different ways. I mean, I'm sure there are more than I'm going to highlight here, but I can think of at least four ways that we respond to this. The first one is we just put on our happy face. And no matter what happens, we're happy, 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 happy. Oh, look who she's bringing through the door. I don't like this at all, but I'm going to smile and act like I do. You know, and this is going to be a miserable Christmas, but you're never going to know it because I'm going to pretend that I'm happy, happy. And that's the way some people manage Christmas. That's the way they go through the whole thing. Other people, just, you know, for them, it's about the depression just ratchets up a notch. I mean, you're already depressed, but, but you know, Christmas comes for you, and it's, it's, it's ratcheted up a level, and Christmas becomes for you not joy in the season. Christmas for you is viewed as a wall of fire that you have to make it through somehow that you're just going to ball up and you're going to press through and you're going to get to the other side and when you get there you're going to be scarred and you're going to be smoky and have some black stuff on you but you will have made it and things will get better on the other side and that's how some people go through Christmas that's the way they look at it you know it'll be better on the other side it's just something that I've got to endure then there are some people who are managers they, they are going to control it. And this is kind of how they control things. Here, I got you a present to give to him. Well, I don't like him. I know, but he needs a present, and you're going to give it to him. <laughs> because I've got to control Christmas. And you're going to be happy, and we're going to like it, and we're all going to smile, and we're going to look like a family. 
And so, you know, Christmas becomes a management thing for you, and you just go into that mode, and you're going to sit next to them, and I know you don't like them, but I don't want to hear another word out of you. You just sit there. Or maybe you just get in a bad mood, you know, and and you don't hide it from anybody. It's not like you don't even care, you know. It's like I'm going to go sit in a corner, and and I don't have to like you. I'm not going to like you, and you don't have to like me. This is who I am, kind of deal with it kind of thing, and that's maybe the way you do Christmas. And like I said, there's some other ways too, but with all that coming up at, at for, for many of us at this time of the year, tomorrow and the days to come, comes the question, can you have a Merry Christmas? Do you have to pretend? Do, do you have to, you know, drug yourself up or do you have to liquor yourself up just so you can make it through the holiday and think, oh, you know, okay. Do we have to dance around and manage and control and do we have to... Do we have to go into that kind of mode? Is it possible to walk through the the most happy time of year and to be authentic and joyful and just happy instead of just coping with Christmas? The answer is yes. Yes, if we will remember that Christmas is C-H-R-I-S-T-mus. If you will remember what comes at the front of that word, if you will remember that, then it is possible for you to go through this season and it is possible for you to go through Christmas Day and have joy and be authentic. And when you smile, to actually mean it. And when you uh, want to love someone, to actually follow through and love that person. But it is so easy to lose perspective to make Christmas about managing, to make Christmas about coping and controlling and navigating the season. Let's try a new thought today. Let, let's try this on for size. There is a, there's a huge irony in Christmas. The irony is uh, that, that the very people that drive us crazy at this time of year, you know, there's, you've got a quirky aunt or uncle or you've got a grandpa that's a little strange or, you know, you've got a, a sister-in-law that you can't tolerate. There's somebody somewhere probably that when you think about, you know, going through this whole thing, you think, oh, not again. I mean, I can't, I can't do this again. Um, the, it's possible that the people that drive you crazy are the reason for Christmas to begin with. That if there wasn't all this dysfunction and if there... If there wasn't all this craziness and people doing just dumb stuff sometimes, there would be no reason for Christmas. We wouldn't even have Christmas. And the weirdness and the attitudes and the dysfunction that seems to go way out of bounds at Christmas time, if it weren't for them, there really would be no Christmas. Let's turn it around. If, if Christmas could actually be perfect the way we wanted it to be, there would be no need for it. Now that you're thoroughly confused, turn to Matthew, the first chapter, if you have your Bible with you. It's going to look at a passage. We looked at this last week, in fact, um, and we saw how Joseph reacted to bad news last week. Uh, this week, we're going to get some insight on Christmas that, that on the one hand, it's, it's so obvious, and then on the other, in the hurry and scurry and, and, and often the dysfunction of the time, we can miss the message that we're going to see this morning. And so I want us to stop down for just a minute and consider this. And um, then we'll go have our Merry Christmas. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged 
to be married to Joseph. And again, we talked about this last week about you know, that marriage was a contract between families. They, they, they would many times, you know, families would decide early on, my child's going to marry your child. You know, when they grow up, well, let's get these two pledged together. Your son, my daughter, and we'll, we'll put them together, and it'll be a great union. We'll have this marriage thing. And so after a bit, as the kids get older, they grow up, and eventually they, they get introduced to one another and say, this is going to be your wife. This is going to be your husband. Um, and, and it was a binding legal agreement. That's the thing. There was this betrothal period. But you were literally bound together, and it, it quite literally took proceedings of divorce to separate you even after this contractual thing happened. And so Joseph and Mary grew up in an area where their parents knew each other and, and had you know, kind of made this kind of deal with, some, with the parents, and they promised each other, and, and, and that's how it happened. Now, we don't know much. We don't know um, whether they knew each other growing up. We don't know whether they dated. Probably not. Probably didn't date. Um, had they ever met we really don't know and i'm told that if i'd seen the nativity story that's playing in the theaters right now i would know these things but just to clue you guys in we really don't know okay so it's just a movie but but the parents (laughs) that's right but the parents somehow knew each other and uh they were promised to each other and and the kids just you know they pretty much had to go with the plan which begs you to ask the question to you know if you pause for a minute and you think about what if you had lived in a system like that and your parents made arrangements with other people as to who you were going to marry. Can you imagine that? Dare I say that the odds are pretty good that you wouldn't have married the person that you chose to marry? Is it possible that your parents would have picked somebody else? Now, in, in my case, my mother-in-law and my mom kind of did some talking ahead of time and kind of got Meyer and I together. So I kind of think it might have worked out that way for us. But, you know, it might, might have been a completely different thing. Probably the person that you would have ended up marrying would have been somebody different if your parents had had more input into the decision. So then we come to the second part of the verse. But before they came together, we all know what that means, okay? Big boys and girls, we know what that means. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know how he gets the news, but eventually Joseph gets the news that something's up with Mary. You know, she is great with child, which is the biblical way to put it. I think that's great. That's just a, that makes it sound nicer, doesn't it? She's with child. And uh, we don't know, but, but we don't know whether Mary is the one that clued Joseph in. M- many people doubt that. We really don't know. But somebody told Joseph. Somebody clued Joseph in to what was going on with Mary. Hey, Joseph... Mary's pregnant. What? Yeah, she's, she's going to have a baby. Well, you know, maybe it was his parents. Maybe it was her parents. Maybe it was somebody that liked Joseph that was kind of hoping to stir up trouble. Who knows who it was? But, you know, Joseph was a normal guy. Guys, when you hear that, what's the first question that you want to ask? Who's the guy? Right, that's the, you know, you're not, you, you don't ask when's it due, you know, you don't, you don't ask how it happened, you pretty much got that figured out. I mean, it's, it's, who, who is the guy? That, I, and I think that's the question that Joseph asked. I think that's what was going through his mind. Now, here's the thing. When he asked that question, and I can't imagine that he didn't ask that question when he first found out, this is the answer that he got. Well, she says it was the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. 
And so, I don't think he bought that for a minute. So like we said last week, Joseph has a couple of options. Option one, he can make this a public deal. He can, he can distance himself from Mary at her expense. He can make this a big public thing and disgrace her and protect his reputation um, and probably, possibly subject her to a stoning uh, until she was dead. And that, that you know, it could have had huge ramifications for her if he'd done that. Or, as we said last week, he could opt for a, a more quiet solution and he could maybe come up with a sum of money and help her get out of town, you know, kind of put her out of sight and out of mind and, and, and just it won't be a problem. We're not going to get married, obviously, but, but she can go away and, and my reputation can stay intact and people will just say, whatever happened to Mary? Well, she just, she moved away, you know, and that'd be the end of it. And the Bible tells us that that's what Joseph had planned to do. We come to verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, which means that Mary's parents did well. It means that Mary's parents really were on the ball. They picked a good uh, family. They picked a good guy. So things were going in their favor, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, to which he might have replied, that's not my name. I'm not the son of David. And the angel would have said, no, but your great, 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 great grandfather was David. And that's key because he was the king and the Messiah is going to come through the, that line and, and you're in line. And, and so David, you know, David was a part of this too. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. To take her home literally means to, to marry her. That's that when you took your, your wife home, that was the official marriage. Do not be afraid to take, your, uh, to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now he needed some confirmation. And then listen to this next verse because this is the context for everything that's going to happen for us in the next several days. Okay, this is our Christmas experience is really going to take place in the context of what we're about to read. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, this little baby that is about to be born to you is going to be a son. And Joseph, you're supposed to name him Jesus because he's special. There's something special about him. And when it's all said and done, this son of yours is going to do something extraordinary and it's going to result in the sins of the whole world being forgiven. Can you imagine being Joseph, being told these things about this child that you're going to be responsible to raise up? I just can't imagine. See, Joseph, this baby is going to take the sins of the world and it's going to wipe them clean. Sin will be dealt with. And that's got to be good news to Joseph because up until this point, when Joseph does something wrong, for all the sin that comes Joseph's way, it means a sacrifice. It means that there has to be a slaughter. They would take a turtle dove. They would take a goat or a ram or a, a sheep or an ox and they would have to pour that blood out on the altar, cut its throat. It was a slaughter. And it was just this kind of a horrible thing. And even that didn't forgive your sins what that did was atone for your sins. The difference is it just put it off for a little bit. It put the consequence of your sin off just a little longer. Think about when the, the children of Israel walked across the, uh, the, the, walked through the parted sea on dry ground, how the, the, the water was held back. We believe you know, God held the water back. It's almost, that's kind of the way you want to think about this atonement thing. God holding back the judgment of sin, holding back uh, the consequence of sin 
That's what atonement was. It didn't, it didn't wipe it out. It just postponed it for a little bit. And so that's all your sacrifice really bought you was an atonement. It didn't wipe it out. But Joseph, the sins of the people are going to be forgiven. I mean, the sins of the people are going to be wiped out, obliterated. They're, they're not going to, you know, the Psalms, when it talks about will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west that is just beautiful terminology to me the reason god said i'm sending my son into the world is because of sinners implication if there were no sinners there would be no christmas if there was no sin there would be no christmas the very things that drive us crazy this time of year are the things that we celebrate at christmas And if Christmas could be as perfect as we imagine Christmas to be, then there would be no Christmas. There would be no need for it. Because it was for the sake of sin and sinners that God sent his son into the world. John was an eyewitness to the life of Christ. He was one of the disciples. And and, uh, if you want to turn, it's just one little passage. You don't even need to turn, really. John chapter 1. We'll put it on the wall for you. John was there when Jesus was crucified. And it was John that Jesus looked at from the cross and said, John, behold, your mother. And then he looked at his mom and said, you know, Mom, this is, this is your son. And so John is, is uh, intimately connected to the family of Jesus. And John starts his story a whole different way than the other writers do. He starts with the cosmos and kind of looks at it from a different perspective than everybody else. And he says, let me give you the big picture as to why God launched Christmas. And so John gives us this big picture, and in it we read these words. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In other words, God looked down on earth, and what he saw was sun, moon, and stars, and he saw people, and he saw all that, but what he saw spiritually was darkness. What he saw were people in need. He saw people that could not get it right. He saw people that, that struggled mightily against the problems that they were having and no way to overcome it. There was really no reason for anybody to forgive anybody because nobody knew what that looked like. It was pretty much just a free-for-all. He saw that sin was normal, that it ruled the world, that, that everywhere you turned there was sin and nobody even really seemed to be all that broken up about it because nobody really had ever forgiven had ever experienced forgiveness and so it was every man for himself every nation every continent for itself it was just a free-for-all and god looked down on that and you know there was no reason to work things out and from god's perspective the world was dark and so god descended uh, decided to send light to a dark place and he decided to to send life to a place that was lifeless and john said that light that light that had begun to light the hearts of men and then the, that life was the light of men and it's something that many of us are experiencing around here these days as i have conversations with different ones i hear this said in different ways but it's the idea that uh, you know you come to a place in your life where you realize you know what it's not working i mean the way i've been trying to do it it's not working i don't know how many times this year i've had conversations with people where they pretty much have said to me that state not exactly like that but that's really what they're trying to say brett i've been trying to put a band-aid on this my whole life and it is not working and the only way i'm going to get any relief and the only way that i'm really going to get this thing solved is i've got to come to jesus and i say you're exactly right you're exactly right. Jesus is going to be the thing that's going to, is going to be the one, the way to help you over a lot of this stuff. But I've heard people say things like, you know, I, I'm trying as hard as I can and it's not working. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as good as I know how to be. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a good husband, but it's just on my own, it's not working. I'm trying to be a good wife. I'm trying to be a good mom. On my own, it's not working. I'm trying to be a good employee. 
I, you know, I want to forgive people because I know I should, but it's difficult for me to do that. I can't be kind. I, I have a hard time with what I think about. I have habits that I can't overcome. I mean, Brett, when is this going to stop? And I say, well, as long as you keep trying to do it by yourself, you're not going to get any traction on the problem. You say, you know, I can't seem to, to get in and stay in control of my life. And God said, I see that, and that's darkness, and it's not that you need to try harder. See, the message for a lot of people, if you go ask people out on the streets this morning, how do you have a better life, you know what they're going to say? You just have to try harder. Some of you in this room this morning have tried as hard as you can, and you know that until you come to Christ, it doesn't get any better. You can try and try and try, but at the end of the day, it's still you, and you're by yourself, and you are going to get no traction. And the only way you can overcome some of the stuff that's going on in your life is that you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I've got to have your help. And when you humble yourself and you lay yourself at his feet, Jesus says, okay, now that's what I need, and I can use somebody like you, and I can work in someone's life who has opened themselves up and said, let me come in. And so many of you have come and said that. Christmas was launched by God looking at a sin-filled world and saying, I want to address and remedy that situation, and I'm going to send my own son so that they can have traction in life, traction over their habits, traction over sin. God said, I want to give them the kind of light so that Christmas was the day, and someone came out and said, well, it really wasn't Christmas until Jesus was born. I said, Jesus was born on Christmas Day, and they were nitpicking with me, so don't do that with me. He was born and it became Christmas Day. That light came into the world for all the world. And it's a day that, that pretty much life was injected into a world that was dead and dying. I mean, it was just like, you know, when you go to the doctor and you need a shot. That's what God did. He, sa he said, you need a shot, and the shot is Jesus. That's what's going to make you healthy. And he is the reason that we have Christmas. And when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, you know what, I'm not who I ought to be. And, and I can't do what I ought to do. I, you know, I want to be that person. I, I don't, you know, I don't live up to my own standards, much less live up to the standards of God. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you get a little disgusted and you say, I'm just not who I thought I would grow up to be. I thought I would be better than this. And when you do that, you, you look at yourself and you say, you know what? You are the reason that we have Christmas. And if there wasn't all this junk, then we wouldn't have Christmas. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, Jesus is the reason for the season? Jesus is the reason for the season. I want us to, I think we need a new sticker. I think we need a sticker that says, I am the reason for the season. Because if it wasn't for my train wreck of a life, if it wasn't for all my nonsense, if, it, you know, if I could get on top of this, we wouldn't need Christmas. Jesus would have never come if I wasn't such a you know bad person, and so I'm the reason for the season. Or maybe you know we could we could change it a little bit. Let's do that. We could we could do one that says you are the reason for the season. You know, it's idiots like you that that are the reason that Jesus had to come. I tried. We had a thing at the mall Saturday. Uh, when was it, Myra? Friday. Friday morning. And Bennett played in an ensemble down there with the strings groupies in it at school. And so we went, we were going to make a quick trip down to the mall. <laughs> we were going to go the back way. <laughs> yeah. It, so, did, so were 20 million other people going to go the back way. Y'all, I saw some of the 
the most stupidest things I've ever seen. I mean, how do you say that? I, I saw people trying to turn left out of places like, what are you thinking? You know, you just, you just want to drive by and look at them like, have you lost your mind? But you can't do that because you have the car in front of you. I mean, it's just, it's just nuts. I mean, it was times like that that you wished you had a sticker that you could say, you know what? You need this sticker. You are the reason for the season. We could take this a little bit further. You know, this could go on forever. Let's try this. My neighbor is the reason for the season. That you'd hand it to him, you know, oh, thank you. I'm the, no, it's not what you think it means. You know, you need some help. You need some help. It's your, the whole reason Jesus came. Maybe you could do this. You've got to be careful. Be very careful with this, but let's try this. My boss is the reason for the season. And then the last one, and I want to make sure my microphone's working, testing one, two, and make sure this gets on on the web and, and on anything that's being recorded because I don't have this problem, mind you. You may. I don't have this problem. Pause for editing. My mother-in-law <laughs> is the reason for the season. I mean, it, you, who knows? I mean, it, it could be. Now, maybe we should just get stickers and as people are coming to your house this Christmas season, as they come to your house, you should just stand at the door, get, get your color printer going, go to you know, the store and get you some stickers and print them, and, and just hand one to everybody. You are the reason for the season as they walk in, and you know they're going to annoy you, and so when they're sitting there over dinner and they do say, say that stupid joke or that they say the thing that they shouldn't have said or whatever, or they spill the gravy or whatever it is, you just look at them and say, yeah, you're the, yep, you are, you are the reason for the season. Or better yet, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we print it in reverse? You are the reason for the season. Why don't we print it in reverse and just stick one to our chest? And when we look in the mirror every morning, that's the first thing we see. And we are reminded, yep, you are the reason for the season. It is, it is you know, it's, it's my stuff. It's, it's, I am the reason that we needed Christmas. You know, that we could all say that. We all, the train wreck that is our life is the whole reason why Jesus came to begin with. If it wasn't for losers, and if it wasn't for sinners, and if it wasn't for people who can't quite love the way they are supposed to love, and if it wasn't for people, me and you, who, who, who happen to think that they are the center of the world, and that everything revolves around them, if it wasn't for people like that, there would be no need for Christmas. If it weren't for people who are seemingly as self-centered as I am, and if it weren't for those uh, who, who said, you know, I just, I, I want to be perfect, but I can't be. We are the reason for the season because what launched Christmas was sin and sinners. That's what launched Christmas. People like you and people like me that can't get it right, that do some of the most boneheaded things and we, we just mess it up and we, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, we hold our life up to God and we say, God, what is going on? And he says, hey, that's what Christmas is all about. That's what I was trying to address when I introduced this baby into the world and his name was Jesus. We get a picture at Christmas of how God responds to sin and how God responds to sinners. I know how I respond to sinners. Not well. <laughs> you probably don't either. I know how you respond pretty much. We tend to distance ourselves from people that we think are not good for us. And, you know, we tell our kids, hey, people that behave badly don't want you hanging around with people who behave badly. And so, you know, we get this undeniably clear picture at Christmas time of how God responds to sin and sinners. And you know what he did? At Christmas time, this is what God did He took what was most precious to Him. And he introduced it into a world of darkness that was going to mistreat and take advantage 
and, and spoil and, and, and unjustly accuse and harm. He, he took the one that was most precious to him and he gave it at Christmas time. And on Christmas morning in a town called Bethlehem, there was a baby born that would one day grow up and take on himself the sin of the world. God didn't do at Christmas time what I am prone to do. I am prone to lean away from sinful people at Christmas time. God didn't do that. He leaned in. He made a step in your direction. He made a step in my direction toward the sin and sinners of this world. He did not lean away. And the best thing that we can do as Christians at Christmas time, if we really want to show forth the glory of God and how God is at work in our life, is not look at these people and put on a smiley face or get depressed or go hide in a corner. The best thing we can do at Christmas is to just see that imaginary thing, that imaginary sticker on their breast and say, you are the reason for the season and I'm going to lean into you and I'm going to love you the way God has leaned into me. That's going to be my response at Christmas. To embrace, not avoid. To admit and not pretend. To love and not try to control somebody. Because the thing that you and I have in common with all the people that will move in and out of our lives this Christmas season, we are all the reason for the season. We need to return to that verse that we learned when we were really teeny tiny that God so loved the world, that dark and lifeless world that God looked down on that he gave his only son that whoever Jews Gentiles free slave it didn't matter who you were God gave his son for you if you, you know that that is what Jesus is about I've watched more television programs in the last month talking about heaven and why is Christmas and it just is amazing to watch the world do a documentary on Jesus you talk about something getting butchered up and the stuff you hear it just makes me sick it's this simple God loved God gave we believe we receive and I don't know what your perceptions are of Christ and Christmas and church but but church is not about doing better church is not about getting yourself lined up just right so that you behave well you know what we behave badly that's why we've got Christmas that's why Jesus had to come that whoever believes in him would not perish even though they deserve it but would be given the gift of life that's what's going on on the cross there is a gift being given to you and just like at Christmas time when people offer you gifts it is it is offered in the hope that you will receive it but do you know what you call a gift that isn't received it's a present it's presented it isn't a gift until you take it. It isn't a gift until you receive it. God's response to sin and sinners at Christmas was to lean in. How do I get away with doing anything other than that at Christmas time? If I'm a Christ follower, how do I get away with doing anything other than leaning in to people who can be difficult to love? I'm the reason for the season. It's the day that God leaned in and said, I'm going to provide a way for you because you are in darkness and you've got problems. And I'm going to give you traction over addictions. I'm going to give you traction over habits. And I'm going to give you traction over sin. If it wasn't for sin, there would be no Christmas. And if it wasn't for Jesus, you would have no hope. I don't know. We've got visitors in the room this morning, and I don't know 
where you are in the whole God thing. It's not my hope this morning to pull some kind of preacher maneuver on you and try and guilt you into something. I just want you to do this. Can we make this deal? Would you just take tomorrow, and when you deal with Uncle Frank or Aunt Betty or, you know, whatever was going on that, that, you know, the person in your world that you have a hard time with, apologies to anybody named Frank and Betty in the room. (laughs) I'm sure you're lovely people. But as you deal with those people that are difficult for you tomorrow and in the days to come, you just think about what God did for you. You think about the fact that God looked down and he saw you in darkness and he said, we've got to do something about that. And I'm going to introduce into the world the one person who is more precious to me than anybody you are ever going to meet. His name is Jesus. And he's going to die for you and he's going to purchase for you on the cross forgiveness. You ask people, how are you going to go to heaven? Well, I'm just going to be good. I'm just going to be good. That's going to get you to heaven? That is not going to get you to heaven. The only thing that's going to get you to heaven is that you be completely sinless on judgment day. And the only way that happens is that you receive the righteousness that comes through Christ that is offered to you. And the only, he earned the right to give it to you on the cross. And one of these days when you stand before God, it's not going to matter how many good deeds you did, how much money you gave, how many times you went to church, or how many times you prayed. What's going to matter is that you stand in Christ on that day. And you, basically what you would say is, God, there is no reason for you to let me into heaven other than that I love Jesus. And he's going to say, come on, come on. If you've never done that, you need to do that. Now, maybe you're not ready today. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. I would love to talk to you about that. We've got people in this church, would, whoever brought you today, would love to talk to you about that. But as you go through tomorrow and you start thinking about the fact that you are the reason for the season, you think about what your response to Jesus is. Let's pray together. Father, this is a glorious time. Little kids remind us of the expectation and the anticipation of the day. It's just kind of neat to watch them. They're really excited. I'm talking to a little girl this morning. She's so pumped up. I pray, Lord, that we could be that pumped up for different reasons, obviously, but to understand and finally come to a place where we see that uh, Christmas is all about our need for you. And it's all about how you sprung into action to take care of the things that we needed because we were powerless on our own to get it done. So, Father, we see Jesus. We see him on the cross, and we see him in a manger. We know that all of it was because of us. We are the reason for the season. Father, forgive us. Uh, you already have. You, you, we claim it. It's, it's something that you've already done. You've forgiven us for the sins that we commit. Lord, for those who have not yet come to you and, and place their trust in their life in your hands. I pray, Lord, that they would be able to do that so that they too could come to a place where they claim forgiveness that flows from the cross. Father, at this Christmas time, may we truly take each step in the next couple of days having a Merry Christmas. Not contrived, not a put-on face, but authentic and real and hopeful, knowing that we are the reason for the season. Jesus came for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.